Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone and welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast. Now I'm recording online here with a special guest called Thor Holt. Say hi Thor. Hello. Hello. I'm doing good, doing good. Now I'm going to do a quick bio. I know you don't want me to read this out but I will. Um, (laughs) Thor delivers on client projects uh, including commercial pitches up to 20 million which is an individual win. Now the The topic of this podcast is called Money Raising Power of Listening, the Money Raising Power of Listening. So we'll go into that in a a second. But uh, Thor uh, does high visibility events, personal development, speaking preparation, business leadership, other assignments. He's also a regular volunteer mental health counsellor and has a particular determination to make sure all his clients become the most confident version of themselves. He is a previous regular workshop leader at MIT, that's Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston, where he assisted entrepreneurial teams with their pitching and presenting. And in August 2013, he was awarded the rare honor of being invited to become an entrepreneur in residence. Entrepreneur in residence. And these MIT teams can't say enough about him. And those who've had the opportunity to work with him have said it's been some of the best time they could have spent with any individual. So here we go. Let's hope this is a good time spent with an individual, Thor, Mr. Thor Holt. So money raising, power of listening. Tell us about it. Blushing wildly uh, on your positive intro there. I So there's um, that old saying that I think I've heard on your excellent podcast where you said something like, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. Aye, aye. Yeah, so I would add a wee, a wee caveat to that. I would say, um, if you want money, ask for advice and then listen. Good one. Which, mm-hmm. which might be, might be patronising to some, but, oh, man, so few people actually do listen. And that, for me, is... Um, that's the key to it when it comes to a pitch, for example. Strengthening the pitch, building the pitch. I mean, I don't need to tell you, right? But it's that listening to the cynical voice, the challenging voice, the difficult question. That's the stuff, isn't it, that will bring the more powerful messaging and you know the stuff that's actually going to get the real investor or the real customer to sit up and take notice. Yeah, I'm conscious of uh, not butting in here because I've got to listen. <laughs> so now you have my 100 percent permission <laughs> to say shut up, Thor. The mere the mere mention of the title just makes you uh, makes you listen and go, oh, right, okay, the money raising power of listening. Um, well, it, yeah, it is true. I mean, I'm already starting to think of lots of events where I've been and. Um, the events that we had, pitching events where someone would go and stand in front of a group of 20, 30 or 40 uh, potential investors and then they would do a QA. and a um, And quite often at the Q&A, you could see that the person on the stage was being given some sage advice and it was just washing over them because they weren't listening to it. They were really kind of thinking of what to say next. I think that's the that that is the thing that lets people down. You're you're thinking, what do I say next, rather than just focusing and being in the zone in the moment. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because 
like I could have fallen into it there. So you're speaking and you literally, you have to catch yourself, don't you? Because your brain kind of wants to keep you safe and wants to have you ready to say the next thing. Even if you're not being, you know, picking and just interrupting people, you, you don't want to end up with some awkward silence. So you ha it's hard sometimes to trust yourself to kind of, sounds a bit airy-fairy, but just to like dance in the moment of that situation, whether it be with a difficult client or whether it be a conversation with a spouse or something. So yeah, no, it's a weird thing, the listening, and it can uh, take you to some interesting places if you'll actually do it. So is there, is there like a technique? I mean, I'm conscious that, you know, how there's a technique that if you're introduced to someone for the first time, in order to remember their name, you should try and use it three or four times in the next minute. That's right, Ray. Uh, yes, Thor. I was just about to say that, yeah. Uh, so, Thor, tell me. But no, that, that, so that that as a technique seems to work, as long as you can remember to do it. So is there a, a technique to... Uh, listening is there a technique is there some some step process that people can hang their hat on that makes them a better listener apart I, from I honestly think it's a bit like any serious decision you have to actually action it straight away so if you're going to make a decision to be a better listener every time you catch yourself interrupting someone like the next person you speak to after you've listened to this podcast for example just put a focus on listening. Let the silence actually happen when the other person's finished speaking. You know, just leave some gaps in a conversation. I think it needs to be kept as simple as that because once I start putting a kind of a three-step or a five-step process into something that should be organic, like listening, I think your brain's then playing tricks on you again. It's looking for the steps and have I gone through all the right steps? So no, I think it really is as simple as being... Comfortable with the uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like letting the conversation have some silences. Mm, okay. I'm conscious. Uh, well, yes, that, that is a good thing. Uh, it's, it's difficult to pull off on a podcast when people are, are driving. <laughs> and if you leave too much of a gap, they suddenly go, hang on a minute, what's, you know, that, you've got that nanosecond in a podcast that if you leave too much of a gap, people wonder if it's, you're still playing or if there's still something going on. But well, in, in today's in today's short attention span world, they're like, right, that's it. I'm listening to another podcast. Yeah, I'm listen to Tim Ferriss instead. These guys have <laughs> been quiet for half a second. Dude, good, quiet. Yeah, but it's a good. Uh, that's also a good public speaking technique or tip is to leave a pause, to say something and then leave a gap because you can usually it's it's well I see it happening when you see speakers for the first time or they're, they're, they're quite new at something or they've, they've not done it very often. They tend to speak really, really quick and try and get it out as quick as they possibly can and, you know, and, and, and not leave that uncomfortable silence. But it's that uh, silence, I suppose, that allows it to sink in. Yeah, I would absolutely second that, Ray. I, I've actually found it's, it can be a great tool for a nervous speaker when they first get up I'll drill them in this. I'll get them practicing it multiple times. So they'll know, I won't have them learn the whole script off by heart, but they'll know their opening line and they'll have certain steps they know they're going to go through. So I'll get them to stand up, maybe stand behind the lectern, glance at their notes, look up at whatever size of audience, just have a look around, maybe smile, take a step to the side of the lectern, and then just start with that first line. And the first line is not, uh, thank you for 
the opportunity or whatever BS people usually come out with, the first line is meaningful and they know it. But it's that pause that brings people's attention in, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean... Not too long. I mean, you're obviously not going to be there for 15 seconds looking like a whack job, but it's maybe just a two-second one and two, and it's enough that the noise comes down, people's attention comes off their phones, and then bang, you're into that first line. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was taught that that opening, uh, the opening 30 seconds were the most important, and it was called the grabber. How do you grab your audience? So uh, a lot of my talks, because I do raising money, raising finance, a lot of my talks talks in a room full of people usually start with, show me your hands if you've ever borrowed any money. And of course, everybody puts their hands up. And then you say, keep your hands up if you plan to borrow any money in the future. And it should be everyone in the room has their hands in the air because yeah. obviously people do plan to. But usually there's always one or two that don't have their hands up. So you can kind of, like a, like a stage stand-up comedian, you can pick on them and go, so you don't plan to raise any money, you know, and, and they, they immediately they put their hand up and they go, no, no, I do, I do, I do. And it's also when I'm being followed by other speakers or I have come on after other speakers and they say, you know, that uh, their particular thing is the most important and show me your hands if you think it's important. And they don't get all the room. So what I usually do is to say, take a look around because you'll see everybody has their hands up. So this talk is for everyone in the room. So that grabber is my first 30 seconds opening line, usually of virtually every speech. I, I love the concept of the first 30 seconds. It reminds me of, I think it was, is it Ted Nicholas, the copywriter talks? I think it was him. He talks about the headline is responsible for like 70% of the purchasing decision. And if you transfer that to an interview or a presentation or a pitch, then the headline is, you know, that first 30 seconds, it's the first sense they get of you. It's your energy. It's your opening gambit. It's your opening question or whatever it is you come out with. I, I would probably prefer to adjust the language. So rather than grabbing attention, I call it, I tend to call it earning attention. And the reason is because I, I want people to do something that earns attention, but I don't want, you know, tomfoolery, you know, you're not looking, they could come in, juggling and you know topless but it's not <laughs> it's going to grab attention but it's not going to earn the attention of an investor yeah. or a serious customer i'm here pitching for money with balls in the air hey, <laughs> hey. it's 2019 ray it's 2019 don't be too judgmental <laughs> okay my apples are in the air <laughs> by the way you've you've got the spotlight on me now is that on purpose to psych me out? i can't see your face i can just see a bright light <laughs> I, I, we're on skype here actually it's the sunshine coming in the window Oh, wow. That's because you live south of the border now, and I'm still north of the border, where we're not troubled by such things. Correct. You're not going to get the sunshine till March. <laughs> Is that better? I've adjusted it there. Is that better? Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Right. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So the money-raising power of listening. So um, what is... Well, listening obviously is important, and when, especially when it comes to the feedback... So when we're doing presentations, when it comes to the feedback, that's important. So would you advise that somebody take, then starts taking notes there and then? Should they be, uh, you know, get their phone out and start recording it? How, how would they go about it if they're, if they're actively listening and they want to act upon something? Depends on the context, but what I would say is if you are asking or allowing feedback in, in any situation, there's no harm in writing it down. And how you do that doesn't matter. You know, if it's a... a on an iPad, a phone, or a notepaper. But you're totally right. What happens so often is people are getting the feedback and they're kind of smiling along going, oh, yeah, as if they're accepting it. But you know it's just washing over them. So I, I think it's actually more respectful if you literally write 
it down. Yeah, why not? Okay. Absolutely. And does that then give you the permission to follow up with the person? So, um, again, quite a lot of times when I do, when I have people pitching, what the person pitching wants is the details of the people in the audience. They want their mm. email address. They want their, their, their details so you can get in touch with them because they know that these are people with money. Yeah. So can they, could they be allowed to follow up? Could they be allowed to do that? I'm, I'm kind of asking it of you, but I'm also asking it of myself. I'm questioning myself whether I would allow that or not. Because what we do is somebody pitches, we get feedback from the room verbally, but they also give us written feedback. So they would have a form in front of us that says they like the proposal or they don't like the proposal or they like the person or they don't like the person or whatever. And then we usually ask them to give us um, three three reasons that or three ways they, they could improve, three suggested improvements or three something. And then that information we, we can send on to the person that's doing the pitching, but we don't send on the contact details. They only get the contact details if that person is interested in putting money into their project. Yeah, I guess that's that's quite a specific question. And I guess, A, you've got the GDPR side of that. And also, again, it's, it's so context specific. I, it's not one that I would run up against much. I, do you know what? I'll, I'll maybe share a wee story from my much earlier in my career, which is when I first twigged as to the, the financial side of listening and why it actually mattered in a business or a... Or a yeah, in a business context, um, which might shed a bit more light on this, because yeah, that's just a re- that's such a specific question, Ray. I, for me, if it was me in that situation, I'll answer that first. I would, if it was me up there pitching, I would just ask. I would say that is a really good bit of feedback, Mister X or whoever it was. I would love to follow up with you later and show you how I've implemented that in this pitch. And I would just ask them there and then for permission. That's just the way I am, and that's what I'd encourage my clients to do, because that to me is effective communication. So I guess that's my answer to it. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to have to go through a middle organization or whatever. If someone's giving me feedback, it's me and them. That's all that matters in that room. I would want to know their name, and if I could, I would get permission from them there and then to look them up on LinkedIn or however I was going to contact them and follow up with them. Yeah. Once I implemented their advice. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So, are you still advising clients on pitching today? I mean, is this something you do now? It's, it's not. It's not. It's not all my work. No, absolutely not. It's something that comes up, but it's not it's not the mainstay of what I do day to day. So I think hang on. So I had a call coming in there, which I've got rid of. <clears throat> no, it's not something I do day to day, but there's always an element of selling the person and the idea, which to me is what goes across any of the areas that I do work on, whether I'm helping a senior executive become even more senior in a role or whether it's a pitch team for an oil company or a charity or whatever. So, yeah, that's kind of the through line. Can I tell the story I was going to tell about yes, when I first course. twigged the power of listening? Yes, of course, thing? absolutely. So it was in my early 20s, and in those days I was obviously a lot younger. That was 25 years ago, a lot younger, a lot fitter. And I was a personal fitness coach, like in the early days of personal training there were only like three of us in Aberdeen I think at the time and I I was getting a lot of clients would pay me basically a mortgage a month you know they'd pay 400 500 600 a month depending on how many sessions they were doing with me and I worked at the highest end club in the town at the time in the city and I got fascinated by this I was thinking some of these people not all of them luckily but one or two of them 
they're getting fatter. You know, they're not even they're not even getting in better shape, but they're still happy. They seem happy to pay me. So me being me, I, I just had to ask them, well, why? So I, I made it like a systematic thing, and I asked all my clients, why do you train with me? And I, I asked them in a written form so they could be, I gave them permission to be completely honest. And they didn't use exactly these words, but the, the gist of it across everybody I trained was, I think you care. And the reason I know that you care about me is that you listen to me. And it just hit me like, you know, like the proverbial hammer, because I realized that's all, that's what, at a fundamental level, that's what I'm doing. And that is worth 400, 500, 600 a month, even to the guy who's getting fatter. He tells me his goals are to be slimmer. He tells me that it's all about fitness and how he looks, but it's not. It's about being given that level of human respect and, and dignity and have someone who actually listens and cares. So that's kind of the base level of what I brought forward into my later, more business-focused coaching. Um, yeah, it's that level of caring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know it sounds a bit, bit worthy and uh, preachy, but it's not meant to. But to me, that's the kind of fundamentals behind it, right? Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's, a, that's valid. It's very valid. Um, and in the bio, we talked about, or I introduced you as uh, there was a, a deal that you commercially pitched and was an individual win for $20 million. Mm. What was that? Do you want to talk about that? I'll talk about that. It, uh, I'll actually, um, I'll read you. I just, I've got, because I had my own bio up for having sent it to you, I've actually got a testimonial from one of the members of that team. So I'll just read that out. I'm a lot more comfortable reading out what someone else says about me. Right. Just a couple of lines. So this guy says, Thor has huge energy and insight. And with his support, we created the presentation that won us our largest contract ever. Brackets, 20.4 million. I should have said the 0.4. His input was thought-provoking and challenging and at the same time helped build my confidence. I learned a huge amount and on top of it was fantastic fun. Thanks, Thor. Mm. So that that role, that was an interesting one because that organization, the CEO actually met me at a, a networking event and um, they had a really big challenge on because they had this piece of work they had to win is, is the way she put it to me and they had never, this particular organization had never won any work through pitching before they'd only ever brought in through i don't know what other means but they'd never won anything through pitch they tried but they never uh, achieved it so i guess that put us up against it from the start but um the end result was against a couple of uh, other competitors they did win it and um the really big deal i guess from a human point of view obviously good to win a piece of work worth 20.4 million quid but they actually stood to lose one-fifth of the organization's workforce if they didn't bring it in, like if they didn't get it. So okay. uh, a whole load of jobs saved. And, yeah, that was that's the kind of thing I really, really relish getting involved in when there's like a human element. I guess there always is at a deeper level. But, um, yeah, that's the kind of thing I find truly motivational. When you can take a team or an individual from a place where they've never won or achieved in that area, and you can take them through a fairly simple but disciplined process and help them win it. That is that is what makes me leap out of bed smiling, man. Mm, I really love okay. that. And was that pitch? Was that a formal pitch, or was that? That a, was a formal pitch to a panel. To yes, a panel, to a sort of panel, on a stage with PowerPoint and all that carry on, or yeah, 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 all that jazz. And I mean, the, the start point of it was it's literally this whole listening thing. I do a I do a, a variation of this. I have a bit of fun with them, and I say, right, imagine I take each of the key decision-making listeners. 
and I get them to do basic research on them and due diligence stuff. And then they come in and we sit and we have a creative two or three hour kickabout. And I run what I'll call the whiskey test. So I'll say, okay, so let's imagine, let's say the decision maker's called uh, Bobby. Okay, so let's say Bobby's been out, he's had a few whiskeys, he's feeling rough, he's feeling grumpy as hell, right? And he's sat there and he hears that you guys are coming at a pitch to him. What does he say? Now, it's not what he would say to you. It's what Bobby would say to his significant other behind closed doors. It's what he would say if he was being brutally honest. Remember, he's been drinking whiskey, he's got a hangover, he's feeling as grouchy as hell. And, and we just have a bit of fun with it and we start iterating. Well, what might he say? And so Bobby might say, oh, geez, oh, these guys, they X. And, you know, he'll just, all the, all the dirt comes out, all the shit they've messed up before, you know, the fact that he's got a personal disagreement with the CEO, whatever it is. And I just get him having fun that way and working through and bringing out, you know, the real dark stuff we get to. And then we look at, well, how are we going to answer that? How are we going to front up to these elephant in the room, cynical, difficult, challenging things, whatever they are, whatever we uncover. And we go through that process for every single key decision-making listener that might be on a pitch panel or in an investor or whoever it is. And sometimes we can... We can get inside info and we can have someone who actually knows them who could give us insight. Um, sometimes it's just stuff we can find out online. Sometimes we can actually speak to someone in advance and just ask them, you know, if we pitched you this, what might you say? You know, because we don't want to waste your time. We're coming in to meet you at this time. Can you, you know, can you challenge me right now? And but, do you, the, do you actually build that? Do you build that into the pitch itself? So probably. So you yes. build it into the pitch to overcome the objections that you know are there. Usually, but we would we wouldn't overtly name it as a rule because mm. that would be yeah. that would probably be too much. It's very context specific, uh, Rachel. I don't want to say that we would never do that. We might use just a little rhetorical technique, like we might say, "You might you might be thinking, yeah, fair proposal, but it's way too expensive, and you you know you you overpriced by ten percent last time, and there were always too many change orders." And then we have an answer for that. So we might do it in that manner, but we'd never name check it and go, well, we think Bobby would say this if he was feeling hungover. Ah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't include it overtly. Oh, I see. Definitely right. Not. Okay, okay, okay. No, I was just wondering about that because, um, yeah, because obviously uh, overcoming objections is something that everyone who's in sales is taught to do, and you're taught to do that by including it in your pitch, whatever your pitch is for. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean... Maybe, but that feels like it might be a wee bit clunky. It certainly wasn't something we did overtly with this particular pitch, but right. we, we certainly did go through a fairly extended process in terms of listening to what we thought they would say if they were being completely honest. And you get, you know, we're probably actually getting them to be harsher with themselves, this pitch team, than, than Bobby in, mm. in the notional example, than he actually would have been. But that's good because we're then starting from a place where we need to work harder to overcome whatever his cynical opinion could be. You know? mm. So we're actually starting from a further, you know, from a darker place, from a more, a more difficult place than we are in reality. But that's good because it means we're going to come up with a stronger pitch. And to be honest, that was the feedback they got from the pitch panel. I couldn't have been better. They were literally told that was the perfect pitch. Their words, not mine. That was what the pitch panel said. I've got a letter from the CEO, which, you know, from the organization that I did that piece of work with. Uh -huh expressing that so yeah it was particularly satisfying but the key was listening first it was me listening to them the pitch team and discovering things about them like they'd never experienced you know they'd never won through pitch before so it was handling that mm -hmm. you'll notice that guy talked about building my confidence 
you know, you're not going to go in there all guns blazing on day one when they've never done this before. You've got to start, you know, relatively gently and, and be looking for what's motivating them in the first place to be going after this. Like, what does this mean to you guys? Mm. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I feel like I've ran it on too long, Ray. Let's see some of your expertise. No, not at all. I mean, no, the point, <laughs> the point of this podcast, people listen to me all the time. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm out of words, but I'm bringing you in to bring something fresh. That's, that's yeah. the, that's the point of it. Um, no, I mean, the money-raising power of listening, which is the, the topic that we have here, is, uh, yeah, it, it is an uh, an often overlooked part. Um, and, and thank you for bringing it up and thank you for suggesting it. But, um, I mean, listening is, well, you, when you're pitching, you're pitching for, the, well, they're pitching to win a sounded like a sales contract. Quite a lot of the people that would be listening to this podcast are pitching to raise money or to raise investment, but but I think the principles are probably the same. Um, can I I'll, can I jump in? I've yeah. got a kind of a, I've got a property example that might be relevant. Is that okay? Of course, yeah. So there was a there was a property I was interested in, and the character who was selling the property invited me in, and we got chatting. It was just a one bed uh, apartment, and. Um, Great yield, though, great yield. And uh, we had the initial bit of the conversation was he, he basically was saying, so are you going to give me 70 grand for it? Are you going to give me 70,000? Like he, he wanted to go straight to the price. And I, I kind of said, well, that's, um, that's interesting. And, and I started asking him some questions. And we basically what I did is just ask him, I, I want to find out why he wanted to sell and why he responded to the leaflets that I'd had my boys deliver, because I got guys from the gym running up and down streets in the area of the city that I wanted to potentially buy some properties in. And um, just asking him that question, you know, what's happening for you? You know, what's what's the situation? And then just shutting my mouth and listening. And over the course of a number of sit-downs, I think it was three, we got to a place where I knew exactly why he wanted to sell, and his 70 grand eventually became uh, 34 and a half grand. And the, the flat was valued, Rick's surveyor valuation was 62 and a half. So it wasn't quite half price, but not far off. And the thing is, I, I, I was literally saying, but I won't name it, but I was saying, look, you know, you could do X. I gave him like eight other options that he could go down. And he was saying, no, but I want to sell it to you. And I was saying, yeah, but okay, that's cool. And I'm interested. However, I'm telling you, because of the way my deal is structured and the way my investors work, and the way I'm going to get it rehabbed, etc. I'm going to do the place up. I can only give you 34 and a half. He, he was fine with that. He, he After I did the deal, he would send me a text every Christmas, wishing me happy Christmas. He got what he wanted. He wanted, what he really wanted was to clear his debts and move into a council property. And he'd been offered a council property, but he had to get rid of his own property in a hurry. Oh, right. Now, there were other, there were other people potentially interested in it, but he, he was literally saying to me, well, I want to sell to you because you're the one who's taken the time to understand what the situation is for me, why I'm selling. And the, the, the interesting bit of me, the real the learning for me was I went to my lawyer, as you would, uh, to, to help me complete the deal. And he, he just laughed at me. He was like, you can't do a deal like that. That'll fall down. That'll, you, that won't. Anyway, I just, I listened, of course, because I listened to expert opinion. But I thought, well, I don't buy that. So I went and got a recommendation for a more uh, creative lawyer, property lawyer, who said, no, oh, that's fine. I've done other deals like this. It's fine. As I say, everyone was happy. 
the investors were happy. We've got the place turned around. I still own, still own the place and it cash flows nicely. But to me, the key to that particular deal, I wish I'd done hundreds of them, but, but I haven't. But the key to that particular deal was just genuinely listening to the guy and trying to understand his situation. Mm. To yeah. me, a fair price is whatever two people agree to. I didn't pressurize him. I, I even suggested other options. He wasn't interested. He wanted to sell to me and he felt understood by me. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's a good property example. I've got um, several of my own that I could probably delve into. But what that that brings up, and, and I've made a note here of something that it's reminded me of, um, you've probably heard the expression reticular activation, mm-hmm. which is, uh, uh, well, there's also, the, 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 I suppose the most famous example of it is you could be in a, a crowded room full of people and if somebody says your name, you'll immediately know that someone has said your name because that is of interest to you. So your, your, your system is activated to, to listen. And quite often um, I, I meet people and I explain about how you can purchase property, uh, no money down in some cases. That doesn't mean no money. It means not your money. How that, you, that was this case. I put zero in. Yeah. Well, and, and also how you can purchase um, property in a variety of different ways. I mean, in, in England, we've got lease options. In Scotland, it'd be called deferred purchase and so on. And you find out those things by actively listening when you get to speak to somebody and they find out why they're selling their property or, or what is important to them. What do they need to do? And then you can start to think when you've got all the tools in your toolbox of all the various ways that you can make that happen. Because, you know, a lot of the time, the property market, it's not about buying property. It's about controlling property. Can you control the property and can you control the cash flow that emanates from that property? And that doesn't necessarily always mean owning it. And sometimes people don't want to sell, but they don't want the hassle. So there are lots of ways that you can make that happen. And again, you find that out by, you know, by, by listening. So in terms of um, the, the, the title of this uh, podcast, which is Money Raising Power of Listening, <clears throat> it's also about um, you know, you can you can raise money, you can make money, you can purchase property, you can get assets by listening as well, not necessarily having to raise the money for them, but just because you can think of um, a different way that a deal could be done. We've got um, a couple that have happened in the last few weeks where somebody had a property for sale, it'd been on the market for some time, it hadn't sold, and... Uh, Someone I know went along to see them and said, look, your property hasn't sold. You've, it's lying empty. You don't want to lease it out, but you want to earn money from it. And they said, yes, but I want to sell it. And they said, OK, well, why don't we do a lease option? Why don't we do a lease option where I will lease the property from you for, and they agreed a rent. And he said, any time in the next three, five, seven years, I will purchase the property at the price that you want to sell. But it's not reached that price yet. The open market has decided that your property is too expensive. But maybe in three years' time or five years' time, it will be worth that. So in the meantime, let me lease it from you. So now the person that wants to take the lease gets the keys, gets the turnover, the cash flow, can pay to the owner, uh, you know, a rent, reasonable. So everybody's happy and virtually no money's changed hands. Um, and, And I know people that go out and they do that on a regular basis and they do it with lots of properties. So they have huge portfolios, none of which they actually own. But... I suppose you could argue that they've, on paper, raised a lot of money 
because they've now yeah. they now control a dozen properties that you would normally expect to spend 1.2 million on, um, but they haven't spent anything. So, another yeah, way. It's, I think I think it's easy for people to when they when they need money in inverted commas, it's easy to kind of get stuck in your own head and forget that people do have money. It's whether you have something that is worthy of their attention, because we talked about earning attention. And if you do, have you placed it in front of them and then shut up long enough to hear what they have to say? Mm. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm being overly simplistic, but I really do believe it is that simple in the end. And a lot of people are reachable if you if you put in just a little bit of effort. Yeah, sure, no one's going to actually come and deliver 100-pound notes through your door, you know, through your letterbox. But people are, people are you can find people and you can present them with an idea and they can give you feedback. And if it isn't for them, you can build a stronger case and find another one or go back to that same person. So, yeah, it is simple but not easy, I guess, isn't yeah. it? Okay, good. All right. Well, I'm conscious of time. I'm conscious of the time we've had already with our tech uh, challenges earlier on. Um, yeah. And conscious of the, the length of a recording of a podcast because I get a lot of feedback, people saying the 30, 40 minutes is brilliant. Don't get it too long um, and not too short. So we are now 33 odd minutes into it. Um, I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the title. Thank you for your input. And... Uh, can I interrupt you? You can, can interrupt example? away. Oh, can I give a example? Imagine you went to the doctor, and when you went into the doctor's surgery, you were limping a bit and kind of clench, clenching your bum cheeks together a bit, and the doctor says, the doctor says, take your trousers down, and, and he says, bend over, and he says, actually, no, I need you on the couch. Lie on the couch, bring your knees up to your chest, and then he sticks his finger up your bum, and luckily he's got rubber gloves on, but it's extremely uncomfortable. And then you get up and he goes, oh, that was weird. I could have sworn that you had a problem with your prostate by the way you were walking. Would you be happy with that? <laughs> I'm wondering where this is going. <laughs> well, exactly. Prescription without diagnosis mm. is malpractice. Mm. And that would be malpractice right there. But we all do it in life so much. And we do it in these situations. We don't listen and diagnose. We just prescribe. We think we know what people already think. We think we know when we've got a chance. We think we think we already know what we need to pitch, but the chances are we need to take our time, not assume we know that it's a problem with the prostate, from my example. <laughs> I thought I'd lower the tone before we finish. I was gonna say a lot of guys a lot of guys our age a lot of guys our age listening to this and clenching at the moment. <laughs> oh yeah, man. It's a, that's an uncomfortable test. I'm forty six. I know the score. Have you seen the Billy Connolly sketch on that? Brilliant. Classic. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, go look it up, people. There's a call to action for you. Go look up the Billy Connolly prostate story. Billy Fantastic. Connolly prostate story. Right, I'm writing that down here now. Right, okay. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> do we do we need to give uh, contact details for me or anything, or do we not? Well, that's that? my next question, is how do people get in touch with you? You could Google search me, Thor Holt. Um, you'll probably find my TEDx talk, Coffee Shop Confidence, which is a bit of fun. It talks about how to get free coffee and uh, other fun stuff. Uh, or you can go to my website, which is just my name.com, Thorholt, T H O R H O L T.com. Excellent. Or catch me on LinkedIn, of course. Okay, or, or you can connect on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Okay, Thor, that's been great. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been Ray McLennan. This has been the How to Raise Money podcast on the money raising power of listening. And you can get me on at Ray underscore McLennan or on the website raisingangelfinance.co.uk. 
Once again, thank you very much, Thor. Thank you for listening, everyone, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. 